ahead and thank you, uh, Treasure Mountain, for coming and being a part of our service here this morning. Um, so this morning, uh, especially for a lot of you guys being visitors here today, we're continuing in our study here, the book of Colossians. Um, we're going to be finishing out chapter 3 today. That's the goal, and that's my intention. Um, I think we can do it. I think we're going to be able to do it. Uh, if you remember, kind of going back to last week, and again, uh, this is one of the benefits, the great benefits of studying all the way through a book as a whole, is that everything is working together. It's a consistent theme, it's a consistent message, everything about it is very, very consistent, so we know where we've been, and we know where we're going to be. Uh, but if you remember back to last week, we looked at Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and verse 19. We, we were very heavy about the marriage relationship. We talked about husbands loving your wives. How did that go this week? Okay, this is weird because only the wives are laughing. So the, the guys didn't say anything, and the wives are laughing. That, that's just what I expected, okay? Um, we talked about husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit therefore to your husbands, right? And we talked about that idea of submission. And I just want to recap a little bit because what we're doing here, he works it in from wives in verse 18, husbands in 19, children in 20, where we're actually going to be starting here in a few moments. And then he continues with parents, then to servants and masters. And then in 23, whatever you do, all encompassing any area in case you were left out at any other point. But I just want to recap because, again, verses 20 through 25, I'm going to be moving a little bit quickly. So I'm going to go back and take five minutes to kind of recap from last week. Because uh, if you guys give me extra time, you know by now I'm going to take it. I'm never in a hurry. Uh, but back in verse 18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And I love the way that this is worded, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Again, the language here is very possessive. It is unto your own husbands. You're not just going around submitting to everyone else's husband. Every husband is just in charge of everybody. But we talked, too, about that idea of submission, how submission is not just absolute in every circumstance. There's obviously the understanding, and we see this in the other areas in the New Testament, about going against conscience. And if you remember, one of the quotes that I read last week talked about how the husband who truly is loving his wife will never put her in a position where she has to go against conscience or to go against God. The husband truly loving his wife will never put her in those positions. And we talked about submission, and I probably spent, what did you guys say, 10 or 15 minutes just talking about that word, right? What does it mean to truly submit? Does this mean you're subservient in every single way, and especially in value, right? We talked about how culturally submission has a negative connotation to it. When you, when you say to somebody the idea of submission, that inherently to a lot of people means you think they're lesser than you. And I think that's incredibly important because when we look at submission in a marriage relationship, this is not a, a placement or a judgment of value. The Bible is not going to elevate one gender, or a husband or a wife, above the other as far as value. And we saw that in the picture of Jesus. He was absolutely submissive to the will of the Father, yet in no way was under Him, subservient to Him as far as value. And then we looked again here at husbands loving your wives and be not bitter against them. We said, husbands, your wives are to submit to you. Your responsibility is to do what? To exercise authority in the home and in the marriage relationship properly and to do so well. And I think this was a big part because a lot of times as men, we like to control things. Ladies, do you agree with that? Okay, men, do you agree with that? Okay, I've talked with a lot of you guys. 
Okay, I'm kind of like this too. I always want to be in control. It makes me feel comfortable to be in control because if I have to trust everybody else, how do I know it's going to get done? This happens a lot within the workplace, right? Oh, if I'm not in charge of it, if this guy's in charge of it, we know how that's going to go. I'm going to come in the next day and have to do his work, clean up after it, and finish it out myself. Our, our pride wants us to always be in control of every single situation. And all things, we want to be in control. But here's the beauty of, of salvation. You are not in control. God is the one who saves. God is the one who redeems man. And we're going to look at this here in a few minutes too. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. That means, hey, husband, you have the authority in the marriage relationship and in the home. Now your job is to do so with grace, with mercy, with meekness, with tenderness of heart. All the traits that we saw back in verses 12 through 15. This is not ruling with an iron fist, walking around with a club, commanding your children, your wife, to obey you. In no way is that the way that authority is to be exercised within the home. And so we looked at these different relationships and we saw the beauty that this is and the, that marriage is truly reflective of Christ and the church. So then we get to verse 20, which I think I just briefly mentioned last week. Um, verse 20 is a beautiful thing now that I'm a parent of children as opposed to just being the child. Uh, let, let's just read verse 20. It says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now, today we're taking the, some of the teens to camp. There's going to be about seven of them. Um, we're heading to Nebraska. For those of you who don't know, we're going to be heading out to Nebraska at the end of the service. We're leaving to go to camp. So I'm going to be in a van with my children and your children for a whole week in Nebraska. <laughs> of all places, Nebraska. And not like where there's things in Nebraska. Like this is the nothingness of Nebraska, which is 98% of it. But that's where we are, okay? Um, so this is an incredible thing because as a parent, I love this verse, right? As it, when I was a kid and I was in the home, just wanted to skip past this, right? Children obey your parents. Well, that's not really what that means. You have to really study this out. No, not really. Right? Because some texts, you've got to really look into it. Some texts, it's pretty plain, pretty clear. Right from the jump. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now that all there does mean all, in fact. For those of you that are uh, teenagers or younger and children that are still under the authority of your parents in the home, um, that means all things, and all things means all. Parents, amen on that, right? Absolutely. Okay, but children, obey your parents in all things. This is a general word of children for anyone under parental guidance. If you are still under the authority of a parent, under the authority of their home and their rules, this is speaking directly to you, children, obey your parents. Again, the reason I'm going to keep saying this is because we have such a hard time with this. It's, it's natural, right? Children are naturally disobedient. We've all been there at some point. All of us were children at one point or another. I think I'm pretty comfortable saying that. Okay. Obey your parents. The Greek actually has it here as keep on obeying. So children, keep on obeying your parents. Now this is not the only place that the Bible talks about children, obey your parents. Not, not at all the only place. It talks about this in Ephesians 6.1, which I don't know if Benji's here, but he would say it for you if he was. Uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. We're going to look at a couple others later. Um, but if you do have a Bible with you, turn briefly to Proverbs chapter 30. 
here in Proverbs chapter 30, we're going to see a little bit um, pertaining with children. Now again, don't just hear me saying that all children are disobedient at all times. Obviously, we know that's not the case. But it's important to remember, children, obey your parents. So in Proverbs chapter 30, I want to start here in verse 11 and go on down to 15 and then 17. It says, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among them. The horse leech hath two daughters crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not, it is enough. And then down in verse 17, the eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. Yeah, exactly, right? Ugh. I'm with you on that, right? This is a strong picture about, of this understanding, right? This is very strong language. We don't always talk about ravens and eagles picking things out. Okay, I don't think so. Maybe you do. It's good for you. But this is very strong language that's going on here. And, and verse 15, the horse leech hath two daughters. And this is, um, the, the horse leech would have uh, two teeth and would be sucking the blood out of the horse. And you see it here, crying, give, give. We see a picture of, of the child who simply just is asking, what can you do for me? The one who isn't necessarily thankful, but is only trying to, um, in this relationship here, suck the blood out. But the idea of just give me everything. A generation that's pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Whose teeth are as swords. The eye that mocks his father and despises to obey his mother. The Bible talks a lot about the parenting role as well as the role of a child. And now here in a minute we're going to look at the parent's role. But it's incredibly important that, that for children that we have an understanding of how important obedience is. It is absolutely critical. And I think last week we talked a lot about the emphasis of the home and how the home is all but being destroyed in American culture now. That there is really no need for it. And I said, you know, the home is just kind of a place where the family comes together to, to sleep at the end of the night. There's a lot less family activities going on. There's a lot less communication within the house. Um, you're just as close to your family through your phone as you are when you're actually in the same room now. There's so many different things within the home context that are not exactly the way that they are supposed to be. There's only one command in the Bible that I am readily aware of that, that the Word of God gives to children, and that is incredibly simple. It is to do what? Obey. You have one job, children. Those of us under the authority of a parent, obey. And there's not a bunch of wiggle room for this. Again, here in Colossians, he's saying obey in all things. So it's not even one of those situations where you're saying, well, I just don't want to. Or, well, my parents just have all these rules. Or, well, my friends get to do this, so this is not fair. Guess what? You're under the authority of your parent. Your job is to be submissive and to obey that authority. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it talks about the last days. And one of the characteristics of the last days is disobedient to parents. In Romans 1, one of the great vices of paganism is what? Disobedience to parents. 
authority is pretty much a bad word in our society now. Any idea of authority, people want to be done with it. It's basically anathema. It's cursed. I don't need to submit to my teachers. I don't need to submit to, to law enforcement. I don't need to submit to anybody. I can simply be my own authority, right? This is what the postmodernist says. Hey, you're in charge of your own life, direction, director of your own fate. You get to exercise what is true. You get to be in charge of everything for yourself. Why would you have to submit? Don't you want to be in charge? This is an incredibly impractical way to live. Uh, we talked about this in the discussion group over there last week, and Jerry uh, Begley made a lot of good points, and I'm going to steal from one of them. That's okay. That's a full endorsement, full glowing endorsement. Um, but just bringing up the point of, man, if you're not training children up to obey, and if they don't have that understanding, they will never submit. What's going to happen when they don't submit to their teachers, when they don't submit to law enforcement? What's going to be the result? Because logically, the way that the world works, this is a logical and orderly way for us to have relationships, especially within the workplace, right? And we're going to talk about that. Practically, everybody believes in authority. They just want to be the one in charge. So no one has an issue with authority as long as it's them. But we see so much of children obeying your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Then we look at verse 21. Fathers... Provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Now, as a parent, this is an incredibly important verse because, once again, we see that parents have a responsibility in parenting their child. Again, you're saying, Pastor, that's not very smart or witty or anything new, but it's incredibly important that we understand that. We are the ones responsible as parents for the instruction of our child. And I can't really stress that enough because too often we hear, well, they're going to church once a week. The pastor should be able to fix them. Well, why are they acting like this? They go to church on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night. They should be fine. Or, man, they don't get this in school. Like, shouldn't the teachers be teaching them these things? And this is one of the things, and again, I'm not trying to start a public education debate versus homeschooling or private schooling or anything like that. The key with all of this is time. Children are going to follow what they have the majority of the time, plain and simple. I grew up in public schools for pretty much most of my life. The majority of the instruction that I received was from a public school system that is not honoring to God. They're not allowed to be, but they're definitely not going to be either. So when I think about if we were to add up the hours of a parent's time with a child compared to maybe the public school, or other teachers, or other individuals, how is that time going to be weighted? And how important is that to you? Because when I think about what's going on, so much is it's, hey, I'll, I'll spend maybe an hour or two being around my kids. You know, I have to work and everything. And again, I'm not saying the hours have to be absolutely equal. But are you intentional with your time with kids? Are you intentional with your time with your children? Because someone is going to be influencing them. It's either the parents within the home, or it's going to be someone else. And I think for a lot of us, we really would prefer that it was us, right? If we are the one in the position of authority, we would really like for us to be the one influencing our children, not some public school teacher who absolutely has no place in their heart for God. This is incredibly critical. But here he's saying, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Plain and simple, do not provoke your children. Don't provoke them. Don't lead them in to anger. 
This word provoke could also mean arouse to anger, to irritate, or to incite. Right? Irritate. I like that word. Right? I was the youngest brother of three. A lot of you guys know that. I was really irritating. I can say that. If you're the youngest in your family, you're irritating too. Trust me. That's how we survive. Okay? Do not irritate your children lest they be discouraged. Discouraged here is despondent. Or the other word that I like for it is disheartened. Don't do these things. Why? Because it can lead to them being discouraged, disheartened, despondent, and leading them into anger. Parents, we are responsible for the way that we influence our children. And I think this is interesting because we all know that. And I think part of us, we like that idea. But what's our first response? Because at times we try to deny and say, well, my child makes their own choices. I can't control it. And guess what? You're absolutely correct. Children make their choices. People make their own choices. But are we not quick when we see another person's child acting up, making terrible choices? We go, oh, it's probably the parent's fault. This is conversations that I hear all the time as you see a kid, likely at Walmart, disobeying, usually by the electronics or the toys. Okay, you guys have been there, right? Absolutely. And you sit there and you think, man, those parents need to get, like, they need to fix this. It's reflective of the parents. But yet, if it's us, and even selfishly, I would say, man, if my kids are acting up, well, they're just making bad choices. That's not my fault. But how quickly we can change this. Um, one of the things here that's, that's inherent within all the language as he's continuing through of children and parents, it is very, very clear. Parents, you are the one in charge. You are the authority in the home. Now, I know it's a new trend in the last decade or so to let the kids be in charge of everything, right? kind of the, the hands-off parenting of, man, I'm just going to let my kids be. They're going to make all their own choices. They're, they're basically 18, even though they're seven. <laughs> they are the ones who are going to be absolutely in charge of everything. And I think if we're being honest, we can see how that practically plays itself out. You remove authority. Children need instruction, right? This is what we see biblically. Children are supposed to be trained up. They're supposed to receive instruction. And parents, it is your job to instruct them, to train them. Keep in mind, you are the one in charge. That's both for parents to know and for children to know too. Kids, we're not, you're not in charge. You're just not, plain and simple. Right, when I was 13, okay, all the wisdom in the world in me, right? I'm 13 years old, Dad. You don't realize how smart I am now. Oh, and when you get your license and you start driving a car, do you remember how much you thought you were in charge then? Right, parents, even though your kid has a car, you're still in charge of them. Okay, these are, these are kids, like your parents are still in charge even though you can drive. Sounds, sounds dumb, but it's absolutely important. One of my favorite parenting books, and I have it up here, it's called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. I just wanted to read a little part of this, and I love this book because it goes far beyond the idea of, of just correcting a child and really trying to fix their behavior. It's much, so much more than behavior modification and doing different things just so that they will listen to you. But truly going back, using all, um, all of Scripture as a core for it. But he talks about the idea of a parent being in charge, and here's what he writes. He says, as a parent... You have authority because God calls you to be an authority in your child's life. You have the authority to act on behalf of God. As a father or mother, 
you do not exercise rule over your jurisdiction, but over God's. I'm just going to pause for a minute. You exercise rule not over your jurisdiction, but over God's. Why? Because that child is not yours. And this is incredibly important. Who is the one that has given you the child? God has given you that child. You exercise rule over your ju- not over your jurisdiction, but over God's. And he says, you act at his command. You discharge a duty that he has given. You may not try to shape the lives of your children as pleases you, but as pleases him. Deuteronomy 6 underscores this view of parental responsibility. In verse 2, God says his goal is for the Israelites and their children and grandchildren to fear the Lord by keeping his decrees. The person by whom God's decrees are passed on is the parent whom God calls to train his children when they sit at home, when they walk by the road, when they lie down, and when they rise up. God has an objective. He wants one generation to follow another in his ways. God accomplishes this objective through the agency of parental instruction. I absolutely love the fundamental argument that he's making here. Simply, your authority is exercised because God has called you to exercise that authority on his behalf within the home. I always say the greatest ministry that that we have is in the home. For, For so many pastors, the problem isn't that they're not leading their church well, but they're not leading their home well at first. And guess what? That falls, you're done. It's so critical that as parents we take up this understanding of the authority that God has given and not just suggested, but called you to a position of authority. We looked years ago at the time of the judges, right? One generation, they did an incredible job. Failed to pass it on. Judgment, right? See this cycle that kept repeating over and over and over again. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be Discouraged. One of the ways that this can happen and that we can uh, d- tend to discourage our children is in a whole number of ways. Um, one of the biggest is simply criticizing our children. Being very, very critical. Now, that's different than correction, so please understand that. But it's just simply criticizing our children. Another is comparison, right? Constantly comparing one child to the other. And this is different than playing favorites, but simply drawing lines of distinction and saying, why can't you listen because this one, your brother, is always listening. Look at this. Constantly comparing one child against the other. Parents, we don't need to do that. You know why? Because the kids are already doing it themselves. We don't need to be that voice that's offering these comparisons. The other and probably the greatest one is neglect. Simply neglecting your children is going to bring about and stir up this bitterness, this anger, being discouraged. One of the greatest examples of this is Absalom, right? Greatly neglected by David, Absalom tried to kill David. Not saying that's always going to happen. That's not a normative thing, but that's something that we've seen. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And this is all about instructing your child. And I love the way that Ted Tripp is putting it because he's pointing it all back not just to, uh, to marriage principles or to um, sweet new parenting uh, traditions and, and techniques and things, but simply going back to how are you to train up your child in the statutes of the Lord and the things that he's commanded to be more and more like him, not just to obey simple commands. This is the beauty of law and the gospel. 
It's not just about you just have to obey and just do the right thing because it's the right thing. It's training them up to love God and be, as a result of that, they want to be more like him. They're able to be more like him as he is the one who is producing the growth within them, giving, him, giving the child the desires to be more and more like God. Because when we simply say, just do this because you're supposed to, that sounds an awful lot more like law than it does gospel. God is so much more concerned about the condition of the heart than simply modifying a behavior. And I talked to us, uh, some of you about this after last week um, when I just kind of mentioned some of these verses. And I thought, man, so many times with parenting, and this is why I don't always like to study these verses out, because then it turns it back on me and I go, oh, man. You know? Uh, maybe you guys don't feel that way. It's probably just me. That's fine. But whenever I do, whether it's a marriage context or a parenting context, I constantly have to go, okay, how am I matching up here? Got a lot of work to do. Keep on going. But I thought about in parenting how often uh, in disciplining my children, again, just speaking personally, how much of it is because they've actually done something wrong and how many times is it just because, well, that's inconvenient for me. Because I think like 90% of the time it's just inconvenient, leaving toys out on the floor. Is there a moral holiness issue with leaving Legos out on the floor? No. Some of you are like, yes, they're painful. <laughs> Have you stepped on Legos? But is there truly a moral or holiness factor that's playing into a three-year-old leaving a toy in the middle of the floor? No. But if I step on it, am I going to be upset? Absolutely, I am. But while I'm upset, while I'm angry, how am I to respond to a child? When a child, like Maddie, because she's three and completely an airhead, okay? She's just up in the clouds all day, and I love it, okay? I love it about her most of the time. She knocks over some milk and spills it all over the counter. Did she mean to? No, it was obviously an accident. But I'm upset. Why? Because I have to clean it up. Someone has to clean it up. I'm irritated with the situation. Has she done anything actually wrong? No. So it's reflective of so much for me of saying, man, am I parenting well and understanding of actually drawing these lines, provoking them not to anger, lest they be discouraged? Is this discouraging them, feeling like they can't ever do anything right? Failing to live up to expectations, or is it simply, hey, that was an accident, we'll clean it up together, that'll be fun. What an incredible opportunity that would be to exercise grace and to be able to instruct properly with our children. And with this understanding of training them up and hearkening back to Deuteronomy 6, a 19th century Scottish pastor said this about, how, about instructing their children. It says, We tell them, You are sinners exposed to God's wrath and curse, and you cannot save yourselves, but God's own can save you by himself bearing that wrath and curse. This is all about instructing your child not to be confident just in themselves, but to have confidence in God. Not to create pride simply in a child, but to have them firmly relying upon the work of God. And I love this, training a child that, hey, you are a sinner exposed to the wrath and curse of God, but guess what? By his own, becoming the wrath and curse, God's own can save you. And guess what? You had nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing. And that's why it's called grace. 
The goal in instructing our children as parents is to promote godliness and confidence in Him and Him alone, plain and simple. And I'm going to fly through these last couple of verses because it's all the same kind of com- uh, principles. Verse 22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Obviously here within the context, there was much more readily the understanding of what a servant was to be and having slaves, especially in the, in the Roman context. We understand how that would work. Servants, obeying your masters in all things. And I like this, not with eye service as men pleasers. So guess what? Even when they're not looking. While we don't maybe have an understanding here of the slave and the master as well practically, think about your workplace. If you're an employee, talking to you, obey in all things your boss according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. Guess what? Your boss isn't looking, still got to obey. Not just when they're looking to earn their approval. Why? Because in verse 23, we see one of these things that's so critical for our lives. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Guess what? You don't like your boss? That's tough. He's in authority over you. Your work is not for the boss. It's doing that work for God. And I know for some of you, you're saying, man, that is tough. You don't know my boss. And for some of you, you might be that boss. Or maybe you're an incredible boss, and this isn't going to be an issue of conflict. But it is so important that when we practically play these concepts out, we keep in mind verse 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. Because guess what? I don't want to work as hard if it's just for my boss. Because guess what? What if I think my boss is incompetent in a particular area? Or that he's not going to do this well? That's not important. You're not doing it for him anyways. Everything that we do, like, the church should have the absolute best employees in the world, right? Striving to do everything as well as they can unto the Lord, regardless of how many conflicts arise. Guess what? You have disagreement. That's, in, that's totally fine. Work through that. Continue to do your work. Be the absolute best employee that they have ever had. In verse 24 and 25, Knowing that of the Lord he shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord. But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. The Lord is the one who you are serving, and he will pay you back. And if we don't obey, there will be a chastening. And, and I like walking through a lot of these verses because, again, even for me, and this is kind of the way that I played this out in my mind, was, okay, my children are to, supposed to obey, and they don't because they're five, three, and like seven months. Come on. What are you going to get, right? A seven-month-old is wild. It's actually over there and perfectly quiet. Incredible. Um, but I thought a lot about it, and, and I was talking with some people about this too, and I think it's so hard because we, we look at fathers and Again, the word here can be more loosely translated just for parents in general, but not provoking your children to anger lest they be discouraged. And we're saying, hey, instruct them, train them in a way of godliness, not just behaving differently. Because we remember, months ago we talked about, there's the difference between being a moral person and being a holy person. A moral person does really good things. Yay, great job for you. That's awesome. But a holy person 
does those things for God. They are set apart. It is works set apart by God for them to do. One who has the spirit of godliness in them. An incredibly different kind of individual. And we're saying, okay, don't provoke your children to anger. And we're seeing a lot of these concepts being played out. And we say, but you don't understand. My kids just don't listen to me. They keep doing the things that they know they're not supposed to do. Over and over and over again. They do not listen. I can't just do it with this attitude of meekness and with all these other things. That I know I'm supposed to correct them and I'm not supposed to deal with them bitterly or with my wife and with all these different people in life. But you don't understand. They do not seem to listen no matter how hard I try. No matter what I do, they refuse to listen. They know they're not supposed to, yet they still do it. So they have to be punished. And I have to yell at them. I have to do this or I have to do that. And it makes you stop and go, okay, what if our Heavenly Father dealt with us the exact same way? Because how often do we keep doing over and over and over the things we know we're not supposed to do? This is, guess what? All the Old Testament, all the New Testament. You do things you're not supposed to. Imagine if our Heavenly Father was absolutely acting out in His wrath upon each and every sin of every person. How horrible that would be. And we're meant to reflect that within the home. Extending forth grace. Now, grace doesn't just mean, well, everything's going to be totally perfect. There's not going to be ever any, any punishments. But doing so in the ways that we know to be true. How gracious and good our Heavenly Father is in dealing with us daily. And I think when we, we start to get in a line of thinking of saying, our kids just don't listen, they don't understand, they don't realize what they're doing, I think we forget the extent of our incredible sinfulness. Exactly what our sin does between man and God. What is the nature of sin? It is absolute eternal separation between man and God. The punishment for that being death. How incredibly thankful I am for the work of the cross, for that, that unity between God and man found in the gospel. And so we've looked at these verses, and we looked a lot at in the home, and I think, um, as mentioned it before, the home is incredibly important. For children to obey, for wives to be submissive to their husbands, for husbands to truly and properly love their wives, for parents to instruct and to train up children in the way that God has commanded. And that's simply to know Him and to be more like Him. It is so simple, but we so often complicate these things. But I'm incredibly thankful that because of His Word, we're able to, even though we take it for granted, to consistently look back, to be able to study it out, to be able to see, to be able to sit down and show our children, to show our parents even, for some of you, maybe you're the ones showing your parents. Continue to do so. But to be able to study out the Word and to allow His Spirit to, to impact our lives. I'm just incredibly thankful that, that God is so gracious, so good, so merciful in the way that He deals with each and every one of us. And, and I'm thankful that he is, he is good and gracious with His children. What an incredible gift that that is. That because we are in Him, we are, we are a child of God, we call Him Father, and we see by the way that he, he desires for us to act, we see His nature, we see His attributes, we see His character in that, and how incredibly good He is to us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank You just again for this time. We thank You that 
that even in just a few moments of studying your word that we see we see so much of your character and your nature and who you are being revealed to us. We thank you for the revelation that is your word. We thank you for its completeness, its, its fullness. We thank you that you revealed yourself through your son. Father, I am incredibly blessed and, and thankful and have so much gratitude that I am able to call you Father. God, there are many that, that don't know you and that are not your children and yet are, are children of, of the devil as we've seen in John chapter 8 and, and understanding the relationship. And Father, we understand that our sin does separate us from you, but we thank you that, that because of the work of your Son, those who receive you by grace through faith, are able to dwell with you for all of eternity, being able to look upon your face, our, our faith becoming sight, and we're able to simply bow down before you, to worship you, to learn more and more about you for all of eternity. God, we thank you for the, the fullness of your word and what it, what it is for us. We thank you that each and every day we're able to, to study into your word and to be able to see you. That even now as we come together and we pray that we're able to enter into the throne room. That's because of our great high priest we're able to, to make our prayers known to you and we thank you for that. Father, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for the authority that you've given to to parents and the relationship that we see both within parenting and within the marriage context and how it simply is meant to reflect you and marriage reflecting reflecting Christ in the church. Thank you for your goodness and for your faithfulness to us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.